Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting edition of Saints Radio. And what a blessing it is to be in the month of April, um, this first uh, this first month in the progression of the fast of feasting. I am so very grateful for the promise of what that what that is supposed to be um, doing in our lives as we align ourselves with the Lord of Hosts. And you know, the other day I was thinking about, uh, especially when we were praying on first Saturday, I was thinking about the the wonderful blessing of um, of being able to come and to surrender the past and to open ourselves into the tobe. And as I prayed, I thought, you know, our society, our um, our what our culture right now? Maybe no, that's not a good for, thing. What's trying to infect our culture right now is really the antithesis of the fast of feasting. You know, instead of speaking truth and peace, instead of seeking tobe and peace, we speak uh, in our society uh, all of the perceptions of raw and uh, destruction. And you see the enemy trying to sow that negative demonstration of the fast of feasting throughout society. And it, it, really, is, um, uh, it really is evident in so, many, in so many ways. So much so that, um, you know, you, you, you hear a speaker and you think, is this person, is this person really an enemy to what God has put in place in our nation? Or are they legitimately um, a critic of it? Because a critic is someone that can be helpful in some ways to where you can improve. An enemy just wants to destroy. And, and I, I can see that there are many today that come under the guise of criticism to, to try to improve, to, to say they're trying to improve. But really what they're doing is trying to destroy. Uh, I, I watched a, uh, a video uh, this past weekend, I didn't see this live, but there's a program that I watch that has a guy named Steve Hilton, and he used to be in the British government, but now he has a program here on um, uh, on cable, and he was talking about how the Marxist um, the Marxist mindset has tried to permeate our society and done a pretty good job of it. And he traced it back to uh, a, uh, a, a critical theory 
that was put forward in Germany in 1923, and they, they were saying, if you want to revolutionize a, a country or a people group, you had to, um, you had to destroy their, their culture and their perceived historical identity and values. You also had to destroy their religion, and you had to destroy their, their family base. And they, they actually called it a, a critical theory. And so you see those same things permeating through the past 100 years, and you see them arise in different ways. And even now, today, with what is called the critical race theory, they, they use the same term, critical, but then they institute race, which seems to be the, uh, the, the password or the backdoor password that uh, infiltrates this into everything. And really what you have is the enemy who wants to destroy and, in, and not, not to improve. And you have the Spirit of the Lord that wants to improve but not destroy. And we've, we've seen this come into the churches. We see, it, we see it manifesting in churches. We see it manifesting in society. But in the churches, tell me if this is not true, if we've not seen this over the past couple of years, if we personally have not seen this. Well, what's the first leg of that thing? To destroy culture and history. So we're going to deconstruct. That's the phrase. We're going to honor them, but we're going to tear it all down. And we're going to get rid of it so that we can replace it with something else in, in our doctrines, in, in what we believe. We're also going to destroy religion. We're going to destroy the things that we've believed. We're going to destroy the things. The first one destroys the things that we've been taught. The, the second destroys the things, the way we come to God. And, and we're going to jettison the idea of diversities of tongues and tongues. We're going to jettison our belief in Jesus is the only way. We're going to jettison all these things, and we're going to totally progressively revolutionize religion. And then we're also going to destroy the family. We're going to cause these things to separate brethren. We're going to cause these things to, uh, to destroy the bonds of brothers and sisters. And we're going to use a lot of ways that the Scripture says that that can be done. It's all based on offense and wounding. And, and so you see that permeating religion. But you also see it in government. You see it in societal, um, in societal norms. And, um, and to me, our directive from this past Saturday, uh, both in rejoicing at the triumph of Jesus and his, and his rising from the dead and, and his, his sacrifice, we, that was part of it, but it was also welcoming this April fast of feasting, which is to forget about those things, forget about the bad things, forget about the, the, the going, back going back decades and mourning over them and celebrating those woundings and celebrating those offenses, but instead to speak tobe and peace and truth and so, as we offer that to the Lord, the enemy is doing everything he can <clears throat> to destroy this great land, to destroy the freedoms we have, and to cause 
the antithesis of the fast of feasting to be happening. What happens on our streets? Well, we don't have an argument. We just shout. We shout these things and we accuse people of this and we accuse people of that, which is totally a demonic prophetic standpoint. So how do you overcome evil? By the good. How do you, uh, knowing these things and recognizing things, these, these are not what I just spoke about regarding the critical theories of the past hundred years. This is not some fanciful notion. This is what's been being adopted and, and taught in institutions all over the world. And, you know, parents mortgage their homes to send their kids to get an education and they come back some radical elitist view. Uh, and and it, it's terrible. It, it's terrible. But so what, what we're talking about here is not some pneumaticost scheme, even though those are wonderful, but a very candid look at what's been happening in society and what is happening even now. And um, how you overcome that is not by arguing, because you can't, if you argue with a fool, you, you, uh, you, you, you don't do any good at all. How can you call these people fools? Well, fool said is in his heart, there is no God. And that's what's being said right now. So we overcome evil with good. We, we are partnering with the one true God, and what he says is what's going to happen. He will not be deconstructed. If anything, these things are causing us, if we want to, if we've not succumbed and drank the, the gall of bitterness, to go to the roots, to go deeper, and to, to let God verify and to reiterate those things that are so commonly held among us as saints. And we will emerge stronger and the light will come. But the way to defeat the darkness is not by telling the darkness that it's dark. That's easy to do. Now, the dark is not going to recognize that because they call darkness light. And, but, but the way to defeat it is to be the light and to, to be what God has called us to be. So I said all that to say we're happy to be in this month of April for this fast of feasting. And our directive from this past Saturday kind of inaugurated that. But we need to recognize the power of this. And we need to recognize that this is, um, this is what we're facing today. So, uh, man, I, ram I rambled on there. <laughs> Um, you want to jump right in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what say ye, O woman of God? Well, I, um, I totally agree. And, and I, I, I too also, in fact, I had an encounter yesterday with the Lord where, you know, there was a lot going on. It was spiritual, you know, there were, there was just a lot, a lot going on and, and yet in the midst of, we can say the chaos of it, it wasn't really chaos in a bad sense, but just chaos and just a lot of activity, spiritual activity. Um, you know, sometimes you're in those settings, and, or at least for me, and, and I'm, I think I'm somewhat of an introvert in spirit. I think in the natural I am, but also in spirit because that's just my nature. And so in a setting like that, it's like I have to draw in and connect with the Lord and I, I found myself like, like, like reaching 
for him, I guess, for some grounding. And he immediately just brought my spirit into the foundational truth from which I've been grown up in. And I felt that foundational, just the stability of our foundation so strongly that it was undeniable. Mm-hmm. And it, it really made me realize that in any setting that we find ourselves in, because God is going to, he's going to lead us, he's going to require that we step into the world, that we step into the darkness, that we go into places that are dark to be the light, or we go into situations that may be uncomfortable for us, that we have to that's that's the place where you go and bring the light or settings that that are maybe a little bit different from what you're used to or you know our lives are not going to be this comfort zone of laying on our face in the sanctuary all the time even though I wish that it could be that way and so when we find ourselves in these situations where we might be stretched or uncomfortable or it may be unfamiliar we got to know who we are and we got to know that foundation of truth that he is just so much just it's just who we are and it was such a it was just such a point of um solidifying for me in the midst of just this you know the craziness of the world and i don't know if any of that makes sense because i'm not giving you any details i'm just telling you that it's it's very much a spiritual principle that you press into him and 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 he draws you into him into that place of your identity in him and into that foundational just that foundational identity is what it is and and I'm just so thankful for that I'm so thankful to be a saint because you know there's there is every wind of doctrine flying around there, out there and there is it's just everywhere there's so much noise and, and even in spiritual settings, it can be that way. So know who you are and press into that foundation that for which he has brought us forth. And I'm just so thankful for that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Amen. You know, I think, I think the foundation that you reference, and, and I, I, I think we all recognize this when when we encountered it was that when the Lord gave us, led us into a reality of being sons and coming before the Heavenly Father and um, knowing him there at the right hand and praying his mysteries and prophetically interpreting them and doing our best to be faithful to what he says to do. I think we knew that that was the essence of everything. Mm-hmm. That's what Jesus came and that's what and patterned for us. And that's what the word over and over again tells us. And, and I knew from the very beginning that that was it. There wasn't anything better than that. There wasn't anything coming. There wasn't anything that would be and uh, a uh, a a better thing than that that God gave us the best the only right there and that's our that's our rock that's it's our totally foundation our yes and so anybody that abandons that or says 
there's another thing. Or, oh yes, we, we recognize that, but, and, or yes, let's, let's get these other things. Has gone off the deep end. Or is it, it, it's, it's a non-negotiable thing to me. And, and I think the scripture says that. Over and over again, Jesus would verify. You think about that. The Son of God, the only one, only begotten. The one message he came to deliver was that. Now, the signs and the wonders and the extensions of his compassion... Those were wonderful, but they in themselves were not the message. The message was what we just said. I've come to do the will of him who sent me. I've come to fulfill the Abba, that foundational purpose. And I'm going to back to that place and I'm going to be at the right hand and you, because of what I've patterned and what I've sacrificed and how I've overcome, you come there with me. You come there. That's it. It. That's it. We have no record whatsoever of Jesus engaging in any protests. And believe you me, as the old preacher used to say, I bet your grandfather even said that every now and then. Believe you me. Um, that was an old-timey preacher phrase from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Um, you know, he, he just kept coming back to that essential thing. And the enemy tried to pull him off of it. And people tried to pull him off of it. But, but that, that was it. That, that was it. And uh, I, I'm, I'm not... Now, did he speak about injustice to individuals? Yeah, the, the woman who was who was being judged cast the first stone, or, um, you know, that one that is the is a major one. But it was a personal exposition of it was it certainly wasn't. Oh yes, you just go live your life whatever way you want. I'm gonna love you anyway. He said, okay, you go and sin no more. Um, and and that was that was his pattern. Uh, like the woman at the well who who was really lost in in the in the spin of of her own despair and suddenly he came and they had the discussion about proscuneo and you know the father searches for people who will do this in spirit and in truth and and you know she goes and says come see a man that has told me everything i've ever done but in it, he also told her what she should be. She also, he also said what God expected. And he really addressed that schism between the Samaritans and the, the rest of the Jewish people. And he said, this is really what God's interested in. He's not interested in this mountain or that mountain. I wish the church would listen to that today. Um, but that's what revolutionized that woman's life. It wasn't just that Jesus could tell her how many husbands she didn't have and how many men she'd been with. I mean, we've, had, we've done enough personal prophecy to know 
that that may get somebody's attention, but it really doesn't change anybody. I mean, you know, do do you agree? Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, if somebody tells me how I make a mistake, I mean, I may be humbled by the fact that they know about that and that they can detail it for me, but that doesn't change me. It it humbles me and it, it makes me say, yeah, I'm sorry, um, I, I need to get that right, but that doesn't really change me. I'm going to leave that conversation and I'm likely to go and do the same thing he just told me about. Well, I think in that setting, for her, it proved... Because, I mean, weren't they saying that he was a prophet? Not necessarily the Messiah, but a prophet. Well, that's what she, that's what she said. That's what, she's, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it proved to her that he was a prophet, a man of God or a prophet, but not necessarily the Messiah. Yeah. Until he, he revealed that to her, and you could see that, that her heart was open, and she... Yeah, but she didn't, according to what we saw in the first episode of season two of The Chosen. <laughs> I haven't seen that. Um, she didn't run around town as Jesus' one-person advertising committee uh, just because he told her about her Mm-mm. her her many dalliances with, with men, and I'm not faulting her. I mean, she lived a hard life. Obviously, she was a person of quality. Um. Everybody in the town already knew that. So if she goes and she says, you know, come see a man that told me all that I've ever done. Everybody in the town knew what she had done. (laughs) I can hear some Weisenheimer say, well, I could have told you that. How is that revelatory? I mean, everybody here knows that. Do you ever think of that before? It's kind of interesting. So what was she telling? Here's a guy up here that has really spoken what God's heart and what his his uh, his goal is for all of us and he knows who I am and there's a measure of acceptance and forgiveness but now I understand what this well of Jacob means what this hill of you know when Joshua brought the people into the land and Moses had commanded you know the the mountain of cursing and the mountain of blessing. It, it's that's what changes people. You know, it's kind of like a revival meeting. If somebody comes and they come up and repent of their sins, that's great. But if they they aren't changed, then what good was the revival meeting? Yeah. Is it is it just kind of like going once a, once a year through the. Uh, the Holy Ghost car wash, and like uh, Delmar O'Donnell and Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Preacher said, "All my sins is washed away." Even that piggly wiggly I knocked over in Yazoo City. Uh, you know that's great, but are you changed? Do you then live your life with a sense of purpose? And so, um, that's what Jesus delivered to her. And you think about the highlights. I mean. All those proskuneo work, boom, 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 boom. Every one of them. That was that was undeniably the topic. And what does that mean for us? You're on your face before God, and you're saying, "I submit. I take it. I take dominion here on behalf of you. I welcome your kingdom to come, uh, to come." And and I'm I'm demonstrating 
not just in in my action, but in my heart, my humility and my willingness to become as nothing for you to come. And then the whole issue of Jerusalem and Samaria, the northern kingdom and, and what Judah would be, and that the Father is looking for this in spirit and to discover those things that have not been seen. That is a major release by Jesus as he debuted himself there in that area that none of the Jews wanted to go to. Um, and that's what impacted that woman. It wasn't just that he read her mail and she went away and told everybody, you know, basically, come see somebody that sees me for who I am and for what I'm supposed to be. Yes, he's even aware of all these things that I've done, but he gave me hope and he gave me a sense of divine identity and he gave me direction. And that's really what we're talking about here, that God has given to all of us as saints and continues to do. And I, I'm not going to surrender that. You know, to me, to be able to say, uh, you, you've, you've lived with all these men and the guy you're, not living, you're living with now isn't really your husband, that's startling. But all that other discussion that he has, you know, I'll give you water that and you'll never thirst again. That's, he basically details the identity of the saints and the identity of sons through that whole discussion. And we use that as, as, as well we should, as an example of prophetic evangelism. But we used, remember, we used to have prophetic teams that went out and Jerry and Mary Brock led them. Did you ever go out on any of those teams? I I didn't either, but I I commissioned it and I prayed over them as they went. And we used that passage to say this is prophetic evangelism. So we're going to go find people on the street. We're going to prophesy to them. We've seen that happen in in other places. I know you've said that some of the students at Bethel do that, and we've seen it in France. And it's a good thing. But to me. As good as that thing is, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm not saying, oh, yeah, that's nothing. But if you do that, but you don't give them that identity that the Father wants from them, then you're not really fulfilling what that passage in John says. Amen? Amen. So, anyway, boy, kind of ricocheted that one all over the, all over the pond. It skipped five ways this way, and it came boomeranged back. Well, I think that that's, that's a big part of the challenge just in the general church. I mean, how many times have we talked about this? You know, you can have a, a crusade with the late Billy Graham, you know, doing his evangelism, which I highly honor and respect. God rest his soul. And all those people, you know, thousands of people rush to the altar this happens every Sunday at churches all over the world. They rush to the altar. They have an experience. It may be emotional. It may be spiritual. And they confess, give their lives to the Lord, and they're basically left at the altar and never really discipled yeah. into their identity and into their purpose. And then they become just lukewarm Easter Sunday attendance, you know, it's, it's, it's so sad to me. You know, what is the answer? I don't know. Because to me, it's like 
a true spiritual encounter that changes you makes you or should make you hungry to pursue. Mm. I mean, I, I feel like that hunger to pursue, you know, once you taste and see, once you experience the Lord, at least it was this way for me 20-something years ago, was that pursuit. I mean, he got a hold of me and put that pursuit in me, and I know that that's, not some, that's, some, that's what he did. And that pursuit to know him, just it just lit on fire. And so there's a responsibility that we have before the Lord to, to, to pursue. Mm. But at the same time, you know, it, it, you talk about number, you know, numbering the, the people. It's like, how many people got saved today? Oh, there was hundreds of people, but where are they today? Yeah. And it, it's really a tragedy. It really is. So, you know, yesterday, this is kind of along the lines, but yesterday, you know, we talk about foundation and and maybe 30, 40 minutes after I had that encounter with the Lord, we were driving in the car. I've got three of our young Elishas here with me for a couple of days. Noah's one of them. And, and we were driving in the car and totally unsolicited, Noah started talking about about his experiences in the Lord, his encounters with the Lord, about just his pathway. And I mean, you know, he moved and he got almost immediately involved in a local church there in, in Santa Barbara and then is part of Olive House and has had a lot of different experiences just in different settings. And, and yet is still connected with the saints, still connected here because this is his home church. Um, but, but he just totally unsolicited started talking about that this kind of makes me a little teary because I so wasn't expecting it. But he said, I, I, I recognize the draw of the Holy Spirit in those encounters and how, you know, we, we should be changed every time we encounter the Lord. But he said that one time when he was like eight, <laughs> When he was back there behind the drums, totally unexpected. I was on the other side. I mean, there were, his mama wasn't over there. There was, I don't think there was anybody over there during a seminar. And the Holy Spirit just laid him out. And yeah. he said, that encounter is my foundation. And, you know, I didn't even know he remembered that. But yeah. it, it marked him and his identity. And... Gosh, you know, when you when you release your kids into their destiny and they move thousands of miles away and they get involved in other churches and they get into leadership in other churches and and you know, you got to you got to let go and trust the Lord. But to have heard that yesterday was like so foundational. I mean, it, to me it was just like, thank you, Lord, because that he will never forget that. And he said it was so undeniably the Lord that he, it, he cannot, you know, it's just like an undeniable truth to him, that encounter. And so we've all had those encounters, you know, those that are listening and those that are walking in this saintly walk. And um, are we thankful? Aren't, aren't we just so thankful? Because that's what's going to keep us in the days ahead when when things are crazy. I mean, they're already crazy, but 
they're going to be crazier. So, anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, that, that's, that's quite a wonderful testimony. I, I cherish that. Um, and and I, 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 I appreciate the fact that he, that he considers that a foundational encounter with God. What makes what what makes such a thing a difficulty for me is when we've seen other people who've had encounters and who can judge what God actually does with someone, and then they instead of using as a, as a as a bedrock, they abandon it. I don't, I don't understand. I cannot understand it too. To just deny, oh yeah, we've got to forget about that. How can you do that? How how can you do that? I mean, I that just boggles me. But it can be done. Oh, oh we've been watching it happen. I don't know how that happens. I, I, I don't I don't understand what depth the enemy can. I, I don't even know that it's all the enemy's fault because it's a person's choice. And you know, I think there's a there there's this is definitely a prophetic conversation and I think there's a reason why the Lord is bringing this to surface. And I mean, you and I had a very brief conversation before we came up here and you were talking about the Lord um you know, your commune with the Lord and and we we talked about foundation. And I literally, I mean, he spoke to me about that yesterday in a totally different setting and just just like solidified that in me who I am and it's not that it's not that we waver in our identity but I do know that particularly this year I mean it the enemy wants to knock us off and and it's not really ever been a question of identity in the Lord but maybe identity in positioning or identity in in function and you know, those kinds of things where the enemy starts whispering in your ear, you know, you're not effective there anymore. It's time for you to move on and, and be effective somewhere else where people don't know you. You know, those kinds of things that I'm sure everybody struggles with from time to time because I know the strategy of the enemy. And so, you know, I think there's a reason why the Lord is is really bringing this up because, I mean, if we look at our at our country alone, the very foundation is being shook to the core. Mm-hmm. And and yet, you know, that's that is scriptural. But what is it? We keep our mind stayed on him and and our trust in him and we will not be moved. And so it's just Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of the things, and I'm not promoting that chosen series. You've talked about that for. Oh, a long, I've long promoted time. it for a year now. <laughs> but you see the way the the disciples are depicted as interacting with one another and with Jesus. Yeah, and you see, like in this latest one, where there's there's murmuring almost about the fact that Jesus is talking to James and John privately telling them things and they said well who are you you know why is he promoting you are you over everybody else and and 
and the, the way they kind of ridicule Matthew for his idiosyncratic behaviors. And all of that was going on. Well, see, we think that these guys just walked around with halos and oh, no. God was always telling them, oh, you're great, you're great. But they all, who's the greatest? I mean, they all had that going on and the enemy was right there because that's what he suffered with. And, um, but you know, again, I think for me, um, and I think this kind of coincided with what God's been speaking, at least to me, over the past couple of weeks about how you encounter the glory. How you'll either be hardened or you let it permeate through the hard places in your life and change you. Or even this emphasis on the resurrection and the power of the resurrection, which to me, why God waited until now to really highlight that, I don't know, but I know what it feels like to have the Spirit guiding me into something. Um, and, and I thought, you know, God talked to us about the cross, and he talked about the, the stau histeme. He talked about that, and he, he spoke about what it meant for sons to take up their cross, and we've talked about that, and we've applied that. But it's like to talk about the resurrection and to talk about how that is gives our us access and the authority into the spirit realm into the partnering with angels and into the ability to um to move in the heavens and to step into that eternal that eternal walk now all those things that for the jewish people for centuries, they debated about resurrection. Um, they were talking about that long before Christ came and died and rose again. And even they were asking him questions about it and arguing about it uh, when he walked in his public ministry. And I felt like, you know, the Lord showing us that, uh, highlighting that now is really setting the stage for a, a time of eternal ministry like we've not known and you had to you had to begin at the cross to understand that framework and our responsibility but it's like God gives you those things but then he says now I'm going to give you an authority to move in them uh, and we have been moving in them. We have been blessed, but not to the degree that's coming. You know, the power, the true power, the function of the dunamis um, manifestation of that resurrection avenue is, is, what's, is what's coming. And, you know, I've been studying those scriptures in the epistles and in Revelation, trying to understand. Because if you just throw that back to the tomb on Resurrection Sunday, yeah, that was the beginning. That was, that was the sign of this being open. But when Jesus rose and he went to heaven, that then released the fivefold. That then released so many things that God tethemate into us. But the fact that God's highlighting that now, I think, sets us in 
on a course of being utilized in the angelic and in the, the heavens in a way beyond what we've known. And we've known a lot. It's like he's, he's, we've been faithful in the smaller manifestations of it. But now we were, it's, it's almost like there's a transition or promotion into the greater. And, um, but, but it all comes back to the foundation. It comes back to who we are. And when you can, when you can keep your perspective based on that and not enter into, not allow yourself as hard as it is to engage in things that we see that are happening around us that are just despicable. Um, if you can keep that focus, then, then you can, then you can really manifest the light. But if you devolve into the darkness and you argue with the darkness and you battle with the darkness, fighting darkness with darkness, you're only going to become darkened. <laughs> and that's a big lesson because I, I have to tell you, and I, I, I can't speak for you because you're, you're such a holy person, but it, it at times makes me angry. Um, I, I, I see things that are said and I see courses of action uh, across our nation and, and it infuriates me. Something as an American rises up and I, and I, I finally, you know, I try to stay abreast of, of things that are happening. Like every day I'll read um, six or seven newspapers. I don't read the New York Times or the, I read the London Times, I read the BBC News, I read uh, a lot of different avenues just to stay abreast of what's happening in the world. Um, and last week I saw just a strategy of the enemy that was sweeping through the nation and through, through the world and I, something came to me. I said, I can't, I can't see any more of this. I, I can't hear one more one more word of that and I had to put it away and I I went before the Lord and I said you know the Bible speaks about this you know righteousness cries out in the streets what do we do with those passages what do we do with those you know it cries out and it speaks to those that are going after the wisdom of this world or who call good bad and bad good we see that happening in the scripture well we we have to we have to go to the rock and to that identity point and i i see jesus doing that where he would get away from his disciples or he would he would shut things off and to to stay focused on what's really right because you can't you you're not gonna. We're not gonna win this by argument, because people, people don't. If if there's no true answer for them, like we have, we have in the scripture, the truth. It's God's truth. It's not our opinion. It's God's truth. The people that we would argue with don't have that. So how are you ever going to come to an end game? How are you ever going to come to 
to a point where you can ever feel you've won when they don't acknowledge the truth of the word. They have some other, they have so many other truths. And the, the, the way to victory for us is not by understanding all those truths. It's not by arguing, debating them to prove them wrong. You know, you say, okay, Paul said, the Apostle Paul said, you know, don't engage in foolish debate. And, and the things that he did debate in the synagogues were based on Scripture. See, his debate was in Scripture. He wasn't in the local, he wasn't in, he wasn't debating the local eunuchs unit. You know, he wasn't he wasn't doing that. He was he was engaged in scriptural debate. And even that can be nonsensical with people that don't want to hear. But to argue with people in this society is ludicrous because they have an agenda. They don't have a bedrock truth. They have an agenda. And that agenda is destruction. See, you can't debate that. How can you debate somebody that's end game is to destroy you? You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't think that's the I don't think that's what he would have us to do. Yeah. I don't think because like you said, it's counterproductive. It's just frustrating and I mean I can't even read like <coughs> you know, you'll see some kind of political post on Facebook or something like that that a sincere person may like my my nephew he's he's into politics and he's very careful what he says but i know whenever he posts something that is righteous he's just going to get this just like anybody else and just to go through and read the comments just i can't even i can't even i mean even about things like this covid and and vaccines and i mean i i can't do it <laughs> because it just absolutely wears me out it's uh, it just frustrates me and uh. well I, you know i read something about uh, uh, the um, the chancellor or the president of western colorado university the guy's name uh, salisbury i think was his name and he wrote an article um which was a good article to, to his students about after the the January 6th scenario that happened in Washington, and he said, look, you know, what happened there and, you know, the the things that tragically killed some police officers and, and what happened over this past summer with American cities being hit by violence and uh, measures of destruction, we have to, we have to, we have to, as Americans, cherish free speech. And he said things that we would say was right. Well, the, the woke mob came against him. And they tried every way they could to get him removed because he equated whatever happened on January 6th with the things that happened throughout the past summer. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, but thankfully, the donors got behind him, and the school stood up for his right to say that, and because it was free speech and it was really democracy. 
But, I mean, who would have thought that that would be a major news story? Or even the MLB, which I don't really care about anymore. I mean, it's just crazy. I used to be an avid baseball fan. I love the game. But what's happening now is just crazy. Well, I mean, the MLB, I mean, the the, the NBA with Cuban and his ridiculousness about what was the thing that he did that said that they weren't going to sing the national anthem yeah, anymore. Yeah, he was eliminating it. What is up with that? It's oh. just, I mean, these major, what what has been like just fun and, and, and entertainment and for our country has now become just completely political. Yeah. Yeah, and and so you see that, and in the midst of it, in the midst of it is an enemy agenda. Oh, yeah. I mean, you see the principles that we've, that we've understood in Scripture about how the enemy tries to get people to live a downcast existence and not partner with God. That's what the fast of feasting was all about. <laughs> and you see those very strategies, and to call them out doesn't make you a racist. It makes you a purist for the principles of God. But we just have to be, and we have to, you know, let men see see your good works and glorify your Father. It's not see your good arguments. We're never going to be able to beat this by argument because there's there's no there's no win. It's like playing a game where there's no rules. How do you win that? The rules change every day. The goalposts are moved every day. And, it, you know, it, somebody said, and I think this is true, that the progressive left can never say yes for an answer. Whatever you give today, tomorrow is not enough. It keeps going and going and going because there is no answer other than complete capitulation and destruction. And so that's the enemy agenda. That's the enemy agenda. And so we who have been called to be sons and saints have to just double back and re reiterate our devotion to praying in diversities of tongues, spending time with the Lord, hearing what he's saying in this new this new terrain, it's not going to jettison what the, it's going to build on the scriptures. But, but the one thing that I've been feeling, and I need this, because it really is a remedy, and I think this is what the enemy didn't want us to, didn't want me to come to. I can't speak for anybody else. But when you enter into this dimension of eternity, and you really let that, not just as a cognitive reality, but an identity, it really causes you to be in the world, but not of the world. Yeah. And um, that reminds me of this passage that I read on Sunday, which, you know, for so many of us, it, it I don't know, it just kind of, I feel like it's been watered down. But where he says, if you're risen with Christ, you seek those things that are above where Christ sits at the right hand. Mm, that's good. And you set your affections on those things above, not those things of earth. And that's just not setting your affections is not just 
oh, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna think on those things. That's like it comes from that friend word, you know, from the mid. Uh-huh. That is your identity. I mean, it's like you put everything within you into the things above. That's that it. That's that's where your affection and your thoughts need to be. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God or in the Father. And so many of the things that you were saying just about not engaging in the dialogue or in the debate, we have to remember that he has hidden us for a purpose. I've never really understood that passage, and I really don't think that I still do understand the fullness of what that means, that we are dead and our life is hid with Christ in God. And then, of course, he talks about how when he appears, we shall also be glorified with him. But I, to me... That needs to be like a signature pursuit for us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, two things about that. One is that we're not advocating that we don't communicate what God has given us. Oh, heavens no. That That's not what we're advocating. No. And I'm not suggesting you are. I'm just stating that for anybody that's listening. But the second thing is you're, we're hid in him. Um, there have been so many times in the scripture and in our lives where God says, stand still and see the glory of God. Yeah. When you've done all to stand, you just keep standing. Uh, there, there's so many times where the enemy has come against us to destroy us. I mean, big time attempt to destroy. And God just hides us it's it's that hiding under his hand in the cleft of the rock um and before you know it then god has dissolved the thing and if i if i or we had gone out and attacked we would have been destroyed and even today i mean yeah but i mean isn't that the crypto yeah so we were in we were hidden in the crypto of of the father through christ yeah, I, that that just brings me. I mean, it just it really gives me so much. But you have to cherish that place. Yes. You can't keep peeking out. No, <clears throat> and yes. not try to glorify, not try to bring any kind of glory, but just to to partner with Him in the manifestation of it in His timing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. That's such a good verse. You set your affections on things above. Um, and that, that's the whole business of that phileo. It, it's, it's what you like to do. It's, it's what you, you know, you can, be, you can be committed to the agape, which is I'm, I'm investing my energies and my passions here. But it's the fillet, and that can that can be waxed cold. Yeah. And you can give that to other things. Demas have forsaken me, having agape this present world. You can you can make a course revision, and I don't I don't know how you can do it. And I'm certainly not faulting casting stones at people who've done it, but that can be done. But it's the phileo that is our regular point of vulnerability what we prefer what we like what we don't like and if if it's like that discussion with peter peter do you love me and in the end result was okay 
you know, you, you the first those three dimensions of sheep. You know, you take care of the little ones. You 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 help them to learn how to eat on their own, and then you you lead them. But I mean, the essence of all of that is phileo. You can't you can't lead somebody for very long if their affections are somewhere else. If where they get their whatever you could call whatever you'd call it. Or their pleasure. Yeah, whatever pleasure. Fulfillment, and, like it's it's carnal. And and those things can be changed. Those those if we let them. But but think it think too. I mean, the first thing he says is you think on those things above, and then you set your affections on them. That's a good. Point. So our perspective is so critical. It's so crucial that we are our mindset. And gosh, has God not been speaking about this for the whole last year? That our perspective is in alignment with that right hand where uh -huh. He is seated. Yeah. And I think that's where fasting, spirit-driven fasting comes in because really what they hit, what fasting hits is the phileo points. Yeah, even That's like true. the fast of feasting. Because yeah, it makes you die. You know, yeah. I like telling everybody how I've been wronged. I like telling everybody how miserable I am because... Then that and it doesn't that in a society. You know, the, the best way to to get up is to be a persecuted group, or perceived persecuted group. Oh yeah, you can you can go to fancy schools on scholarship, and you can get scholarships to Harvard, and you can go through this, but you're still a persecuted group, and that's entrance into the club. I mean, if that's your phileo, mm -hmm. well, you've got to adjust that. You got to lay that down. And, you know, you keep pruning that. I think that's the area that's pruned. Because we, no matter where we are, we develop areas of phileo. It's, it's, um, affection is phroneo. Oh, I, I was just going off what you said. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's phroneo, which is exercising the mind, your thoughts, your, your, um, I guess your perspective, your mindset. I, I see these things. But the principle still applies. I mean, the, the phileo still applies. We talked about it in Sunday school on Sunday. Yes. Um, and, um, you know, that's the, that's the whole thing. I mean, but the whole issue of being above is is twofold on what's in heaven and what's you know really above the fray. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and again, I'm I'm looking here at Froneo um, to be discerning, to be sensible, to be prudent. To um, to be intent on isn't that part of the soul? Yes. It's so all the things that you were saying about what you desire, you know, all those things, that all applies mm -hmm. because it is your soul. And a derivative is being like-minded, united in spirit. I'm just reading how Strong's words uses this. Here's one: to be insane, to oh. be beside oneself, paraphroneo. Oh wow! Um, I felt that way before. <laughs> but but see there again. 
it it has to do with where you place value and and how you place value is on something that gives you some measure of fulfillment mm -hmm. and um um and and honestly honestly there are times where i would study over the years just because i well i'd like something i'd study history because i liked history i liked to 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 think about various aspects of battles and various geopolitical moves i liked something about that i just liked but then there were times that i would study like for debate where i was studying so that I could beat the other team. And through that, not just to learn, but to have a sense of victory. Yeah, we beat you. You know, Mark Cuban's high school was Mount Lebanon High School. We loved to debate them because they were the, up, they were the upper class kids. And we were kind of middle class in Bethel Park. We had a more holy name. Um, but to beat them really gave us not only a sense of school pride, but hey, we beat these kids who were really privileged. And that gave me a sense of yearning. So I would study for that reason. I'm just admitting this. <laughs> That's good. But everybody does that. Um, Whether they, oh, what, what a prideful person Pastor Ron was. We're all that. And so, see, the thing is that if, if you... If you are like-minded, how does somebody not become like-minded? How, how do those bonds separate? Well, what's fulfilling you is driving you in another direction. And then you don't want to seem like you're, you've left the farm spiritually. So you start hitting at people where? In what fulfills them or what, where they perceive they've not been fulfilled. And that destroys like-mindedness. And that's how a tail-bearer separates chief friends. But it's all about what you like and what you, what you gain a fulfillment from. And that's what we set before the Lord. And doesn't he tell us as the body to be like-minded? Yeah. Because and our, that's for an our, Yeah, our, our perspective needs to be at that right hand. Yeah. Where really our foundation is. Uh -huh. has been established because it, it's, it's the Iman. It's where he established Abraham and Moses. And and I think from what I just read out of the out of the uh, uh, lexicon, which is one of Olivia's favorite words, uh, what I just read out of that was in Greek society, they would call insane people by that because all of a sudden they'd lost touch with reality and something else was fulfilling them. Whoa. And they would go after that. And, you know, you have extrapolations of that where Jesus' family, including the Blessed Virgin, came to the door where he was teaching and says, bring him out. He's existeme. He's gone off the reservation and he's, he's teaching things. Get him out of here. He's embarrassing us. But he's really following another histeme from God mm -hmm. and he's drawing from that. Mm -hmm. See, it's all that. But it comes back to how do you lose that fervor? Well, suddenly... Some people who, I know we're past time, it's okay. Um, some people who first came into this walk came because it was exciting. There were new things happening. They were getting new giftings. They were having manifestations. And suddenly they were coming alive in certain areas. 
Well, what's the next step in that? At some point, God stops giving you those I, those revelations because there's no more to give at this point for you. For you now, you've got to grow and see those things develop. And as we both know, that can be a lonely walk because it's something you have to do with the Lord. God hides his face from you and you have to seek him and you can't run to somebody to lay hands on you or to open up some new thing so that you can feel invigorated. You've got to live and you've got to grow. And for some folks, when that point of excitement and fulfillment and things they like, really what those manifestations triggered was that as, uh, that that uh, that joy of discovery. God draws that back for a minute and says, okay, enough for now. You've got to grow and develop because if I give you more, there's no foundation and you're just going to topple. They don't like that. Mm. And they say it's work. We just like the discovery. We like what it makes it feel. But if we're not, don't make us grow don't make us interpret. Don't make us study anything. What's the next new thing? See, that's all a product of the mind and fulfillment and phileo and phroneo. And if, if you don't buckle down to that essential identity where you know I'm building on this solid rock, it can't get any better than this. How can you get better than being a son and being at the right hand of God. I know. You You start creating new thrones for God, or you start saying, oh, you know, there's another pathway over here, and our our brethren who have been steeped in idol worship across the seas, they've got another pathway to God. Let's let's hear them. I think so much of that is just the soulless emotion that drives people. And if they're if 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 they're not in submission to the spirit, I mean, I just think about about some that have fallen away from the saints that have gotten so passionate about these social issues through their own identity. And that and then they become angered because they feel like they've been abused or not honored or respected or, you know, whatever, without really going into detail of saying anything. You know what I'm saying? And that just, that, that emotional, that passion just drives them off course. Yeah. So that's why you got to set your emotion on at that right hand. Yeah. What, what, what has become the end game? What has become the target point? And, and what is most fulfilling to you? What's the agenda? Public is it being decline? right? Maybe, but being right in the pathway you've chosen. Is it proving that you're right? Maybe. Is it being offended? Yeah. But if it ever comes to the point where I will never agree that there's more than one way to God. Mm -mm. I will never agree that there's any other mode to salvation. I will never agree that Christ is really all these other things. I'll never agree to that. This morning I was talking to Amber and somehow we got on the the subject of Richard Rohr. 
and and I was just telling her just a little bit about just my experience with some of his books and and how it affected me and just about some of the discovery that we've made and she's and so she started asking me some questions and while she did she was googling him like what you know what does he teach what does he believe and the first thing she pulled up when she googled was that very thing and she's like whoa (laughs) and I thought yeah 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 it's 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 so but 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 what is what is the carrot out in front of that willingness to accept that heretical ideology well the carrot is that oh you've been wounded or the carrot is here is what all the cool kids are doing and if i want to make it in this way i've got to start accepting this it's the ticket to my dreams or it's it's finally a thing now where i can accept this and get out from under these things that i've convinced myself that have held me down it's it's all about the same thing and we are way over time now but it's been a good discussion i think i don't know if, i don't know about any of the rest of you but i've enjoyed it oh me too Thanks for um, tuning in, and um, we'll look forward to, um, at some point in the next week or so, a posting of all the uh, First Saturday words, or the the, the, the provision, report. The, yeah. report, the report, the report. And <clears throat> tomorrow, Wednesday Night Live, and um, anyway... God bless you all. Thanks for tuning in. And may God continue to use you in the place where he has established you. Amen. Goodbye.